Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's me, Mike Schubert. You might be noticing that this particular intro for this episode sounds a little bit different, maybe a little bit more Canadian. And that's because I'm recording this one in Montreal. It's a very special intro to an episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, yes, I'm in Canada. I'm here in Montreal. Kelly and I drove up here in one shot because her sister is due very soon to give birth to a tiny human. And we were helping out beforehand and afterwards we were very safe in terms of quarantining beforehand and making sure that we traveled in the safest means possible. Just wanted to put that out there since I have publicly in this podcast advised against traveling right now. I normally would definitely do that. All of us were as safe as we possibly could and we're very excited to help welcome the new little redacted name for privacy purposes into the world. But aside from that, it is the first episode of Potterless in December, meaning that it is donation time. Here at Potterless each month, we take $1 for every member of our team over patreon.com slash Potterless and donate it to a different charity. And at the time of recording, we have 827 patrons at patreon.com slash Potterless, meaning that we will be giving $827 to Fair Fight. Fair Fight is an organization that promotes fair elections in Georgia and around the United States. They encourage voter participation in elections, they educate voters about elections and their voting rights. They bring awareness for election reform, they advocate for election reform at all levels, and they engage in voter education programs and communications. You may have heard of them because of Stacey Abrams, who did incredible work for Georgia in this 2020 election by getting hundreds of thousands of people registered to vote. And I'm picking this charity because the Georgia runoffs are happening in January, and they are very important. At the day this episode releases, December 7th, it is the last day that you can register to vote in Georgia. If you are going to turn 18 before January 5th, you can register as well, so definitely get on that and vote in these runoffs. They are incredibly important. It determines who controls the Senate, and that will determine a lot of how effective our new president can be about passing legislation that can help people in need. So Fair Fight is working to make that election and future elections more fair, and they are just raising awareness, getting people registered, all very good things. If you want to learn more about them, you can go to fairfight.com. F-A-I-R fight.com. And of course, I want to give a shout out to our newest batch of patrons joining our team over at patreon.com slash potterless. So shout out to Lucy Jones, Thomas Sullivan, Eva Kramer, and the return of Grant Sohn. Also, a name correction for Elena Chatzilius. And of course, as always, thanks to our existing bunch of producer-level patrons. Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Rosemary, Marie, Lisa, Romina, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Zachary, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Hardlin, Noelia, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya, Flora, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marcos, Marik, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, the Meadows family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Lori, Jaro, Pita, Janin, Callahan, Leah, Melissa, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, Madison, Tonk, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Boney Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Rossanne, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Lior, Demi, Michelle, Callista, Jennifer, Henrique, Jeremy, Delkis, Katrina, Jerrica, Casey, Megan, Zot, Jack, Sophia, Dane, Kirsty, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Daddykins, Alaria, Lori, Gregory, Stan, Kaka, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, Ashley, Ravenclaw, Gavin, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Sean, Jenna, Laura, Mazeltov, Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, 
Hufflepuff, Brett, Hunter, Mary, Artemis, Trans People, People, Danae, Samantha, Tatiana, Nina, Taylor, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Tony, Allfear, Jordan, Steamed Nuggets, and Cat Potter, who never make the mistake of while they're in Canada at the border trying to get in, only giving the approved doctor signed quarantine travel exemption forms, they only give the form for their wife Kelly and then they don't give their own form, causing a bit of a hubbub and about a five minute delay until ultimately the people say, we're sorry, you only have paperwork for your wife and not you, even though you had the paperwork for yourself in your hand, you just didn't hand it over. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, director's commentary, exclusive merchandise, monthly live streams, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 154 of Potterless, the second of a bunch covering Puffs, the play, guest starring Katie Nutman. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 28-year-old man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and then he watched other stuff, including Puffs the Play, which we'll be talking about today. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the Grow Man, and I'm joined again by a Seattle improviser, a friend of mine, someone who I have not seen in far too long. It's Katie Nutman. Katie, how's it going? Hi, friend. It's It's been literally minutes since we've last talked about Harry Potter, and it's been too long already. <laughs> right? It It's just... Any minute that I'm not talking about Harry Potter is a minute wasted of my life. (laughs) So let's not waste any more minutes. Let's talk about more puffs. When we last left our heroes, we had met all of the puffs, and Cedric was about to make a great announcement, which I love about his character. He loudly pronounces that he's going to bed, and since everyone else wants to be cool like Cedric, they all decide to go to bed too. I wish I had a friend like this in college. Instead, my friends would always be like, I want to play Settlers of Catan at 2 a.m. And then I'd say, me too, because I had the most FOMO possible and I didn't sleep a lot. So you are also friends with the Bad Decision Bears. Oh, Bad Decision Bears. Yes. Is that a is that a, a thing, a reference of sorts, or is that yeah. just what you call people? In Avenue Q, um, there are, again, coming back to my extreme love of puppets, right. Avenue Q has a couple of, of Bad Decisions Bears and they're they're always encouraging people to make not good decisions like play Settlers of Catan at 2 a.m. Okay. I've not seen Avenue Q. I am not as big of a puppet fan as you. I like I like big puppet prop stuff. So like when I saw Lion King and there was the big Timon, I think that's very cool. Uh, but puppets that are meant to look like people, I do not like as much because it just feels like, why aren't you just a person? When you use a puppet to do something you can't just do with a human, I get it. When you have puppet that looks like a guy, I'm confused. Well, so that's what's great about Avenue Q, I think, is that the puppets are, are monsters. It's like Sesame Street that has been corrupted. So having puppets like Big Bird, right, you can't just have a person, Big Bird and Snuffleupagus and Oscar the Grouch, all of these are, are characters that are are inherently better because of their puppetness mm-hmm. or puppet manity. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure what the correct term there is. Puppetude. <laughs> so yeah, with that, I think that, that puppets are, are wonderful. And also Warhorse is another one to check out if you're a big fan of puppets. Oh, okay. I'll have to check it. I have seen Little Shop of Horrors with a giant, Yes, I think, three people operating it, Audrey, too, which was very, very cool. Yes. 
So um, puppets are wonderful, including the puppets in Avenue Q, like the Bad Decisions Bears, which are the opposite of Cedric Diggory. All right, good. And we've brought it back. So Cedric goes to bed, everyone else follows, except for Wayne, Oliver, and Megan. They remain. And they start to get to know each other a little bit more. Megan, this is where she kind of lays the groundwork of not liking the puffs as much. She wishes she could be in the snakes because she says that her mom worked for you-know-who. And Wayne and Oliver both at the same time go, who? Because they're both muggle-born, basically, and they don't understand (laughs) what they're talking about. Again, just a fun joke about Voldemort is called you-know-who, but there could be a large chunk of people who just don't know who these people are talking about. Including Harry in the first book. When Hagrid won't tell him, he's like, well, can't you just write it down? Or uh, (laughs) there's there are tons of people that don't know who you know who is. It's really solid. Oliver then reveals that he is from New Jersey, my home state, which made me very proud. I love it. I know that this is probably because the show premiered in New York. It's probably just uh, people in New York like to make fun of New Jersey when they can. This is why there's a New Jersey reference in Hamilton. But I will always defend my state because at least they make fun of us instead of being like New Hampshire, which no one knows anything about. There is a uh, author's note in here. It <gasps> says Oliver should be from any nearby major city or place that everyone agrees kind of sucks. I if you it. don't have such a place, New Jersey should always work. Gah. My apologies to the people of New Jersey. I truly mean nothing personal and I know no- dozens of great New Jerseyans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is, like, I love my state a lot, but I'm from central New Jersey, very suburby-ish, a very Italian suburb in New Jersey, close to the beach. I love it. That being said, I've lived in New York for the past few years, and I've never gone to someone, before COVID, obviously, if someone was having a party in New Jersey, my first thought is, uh, New Jersey, (laughs) because now in New York, New Jersey is not, oh, the state where I grew, it's, oh, it's the state where my friends who don't live in the city live, and I think I either have to take a more expensive train or a ferry to New Jersey. This was a, a concern long before. Now the only public transportation I take is the ferry, because it's the only one I feel safe taking because I can go in the open air upper deck. But uh, yeah, New Jersey is just like farther Brooklyn now to me, not necessarily (laughs) a state of mine. But I have gone back a couple of times to visit my old hometown and eat at my old favorite pizza place and ice cream shop and all of that. That's good. But Hoboken is not New Jersey to me anymore. And in my brain, this is making fun of Hoboken. (laughs) If it weren't for proper nouns, I feel like there would be a difference between like capital New Jersey and lowercase New Jersey. Ah. Right? Like there's there's New Jersey, the concept, and then there's New Jersey, the actual location. Right. And New Jersey... The actual location is the entire state that has all of its wonderful goodness and and home pizza shops and and all of that kind of things. But the concept of New Jersey is just right across the river where people who want to be New Yorkers can't actually be New Yorkers because they're living in New Jersey. Exactly. My current disdain with going to New Jersey is not because it is New Jersey. It's because it will be a very long trip. It has nothing to do with the destination. It's the journey, not the destination. So Oliver says he's from New Jersey. He says he was going to start at the math academy at Oxford, but Wayne points out, you're 11. He goes, yeah, I'm a math savant, but now nothing matters because I'm just a wizard. He says his family moved to Britain to be with him while he did this, but now he's just a wizard and he says, I'm not used to being bad at school, which also is a realization I had is that has to be really hard. What if you are incredibly smart in third grade, fourth grade, going into whatever year Hogwarts is and you're just bad at school again. Like by the time you're 11, you're old enough to where your classes aren't just simple stuff. 
that's where, at least I felt in school, there was the first really start of the break between the nerdy kids that I certainly was and kids that weren't <laughs> as performing as well in school. So that would have been really hard if I went from getting straight A's all the time and now I'm in a school where, oh, I don't know how to ride horsebacks, but I've been told I'm a horseback riding prodigy, so now I have to? Like, that'd be a really hard thing to do. Absolutely. And I think I kind of ride this line a little bit because my my childhood was full of high test scores and and supportive parents and all of those good things that you need in order to be labeled one of the smart kids and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was very successful in school, uh, humble brag, (laughs) but I was not very successful with sports. And so I, which also surprise, surprise, um, (laughs) but I feel like I struggled with it, right? I liked to play soccer. I enjoyed playing games and sports and participated in sports, but it never felt like something that I was ever going to be really good at. And I could try and I could run more and I could study it, but it didn't make sense. And same thing with music for me too. I could work very, very hard, but music is something that is never going to come naturally to me just because of the way that my my brain is. And then I found theater in high school and I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be good at something that's effortless, but it gives you such joy. And and (laughs) so it was this everything coming together. And so I'm trying to imagine that in the opposite way of like knowing that like, yeah, this is my success. And then suddenly something comes along and is like, oh, well, you can't do your job anymore. You have to teach from uh, a computer screen and completely relearn how to do it. And also the Uh, love of your life has uh, been taken away because we can't go to theater anymore. And like trying to imagine something like that is is just unbelievable. Yeah. What kind of world would that be in? Gosh, you'd really have to see into the future. You'd have to have like 2020 vision to see what uh, <laughs> what that could be like. But it also made me think, is there ever a situation where someone just turned down the acceptance to Hogwarts? What if Oliver just said no? Could he say no? Is he legally bound to go to the school? Like, if you're really good at something and you just don't want to go, can you just not go? Or do you have to because you have magic and if you would turn into an Obscurus or something? It made, it made me raise a lot of questions. Now I need to dive into the bowels of fanfiction.net because there mm. has to be some sort of, of collection in there, some sort of understanding. But I I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of some sort of muggle equivalent. Like, like if someone told me I've never played organized football before because my parents are smart and they didn't want me to get a concussion at age 12. Yeah. I've played like flag football and stuff, but if it all of a sudden came out that I was incredible at football, like I threw some perfect god awful spiral and, and some coach <laughs> from afar in the parking lot was like, you were, you know, if I was told like, hey, you're actually perfect at football and you should pursue a career in this, I would just still say no. But the thing about magic is that it could potentially be dangerous uh, if you okay. don't get trained in a certain way, right? So right. I guess that's you it. choosing to play football or not play football doesn't have any greater impact except for maybe the team that you're playing for may have a better chance at the Super Bowl. Yeah. But if you are a wizard and you choose not to get trained, there have been some pretty clear examples of how that can be very dangerous if you are not properly able to control um, this ability. So I'm also trying to put it into like Good Samaritan law. If I am trained in first aid, Legally, I'm not obligated to do anything, right? I can sit there and I can watch somebody bleed out or I can watch them struggle. Like, there's no obligation for me. I do not have to do anything other than the Gryffindor needing me to be a hero. (laughs) So I don't know if they can legally obligate somebody to attend that training, but also if it gets out of control, there would be consequences, and I think that they would probably be punished too. So I don't know. Okay. 
It's an interesting thought. I never, that never occurred to me until watching Puffs. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> fan fiction friends, go out there and, Get and on do it, it to it. <laughs> so they start going to classes. Of course, the first professor is Snape. I love this rendition of Snape. This feels like a loving joke on Alan Rickman, where it just sounds like the man swallowed a Costco sized tub of peanut butter. <laughs> He starts, like, pronouncing words kind of well, and then by the end, just, you need the subtitles. From a theatrical perspective here, too, I absolutely love these transitions. Yeah. This was another piece where I was like, oh, okay, I can totally buy into this. Because there's so much happening, the way that the set is designed and the way that they use their props and their costumes, I think, is incredibly effective to signal to people that, you know, either they're changing characters or who they're playing. Um, McGonagall's use of, or sorry, uh, uh, Professor McGee's <laughs> use of cat ears, uh, I think is fantastic, right? Little touches, little nods, so we understand who they are, but also makes it easy for a quick costume change and having the students stay in one central location, but using all of the doors to filter the different teachers in, I thought was an incredibly smart use of their space. Yeah, it's also really smart just the tiny little things they do. The person who plays Snape is also Ernie Mac. When he becomes Snape, he takes his hair from being pushed over to the side to being a middle part. And then they have robes that they can either wear as robes or they put them around their necks and then they are like a Superman looking cape. So just the different ways that they just do the slightest of change. And I at no point was I ever confused about who a character was. And there are so many different roles that the people play. When you look at the IMDb listing, it just lists the first character they are and then and others for yes. everyone because there's just so many roles. They are listed, again, in the, the paper version of the script. Um, and that's something that I think that is super important too is that when it's listed as like who originated the roles it has and others, but the list of characters, it has them all listed that each person plays. And that is always impressive. And I, I love seeing how many people get to play so many different things. And then the last piece is that Death Buddies to be played by all. Yep. Oh, Death Buddies. We'll get to that. What a great name. But Snape starts to get into his potion lesson. He asks, what is a potion? And I... Love a good improv tag run of bits, rule of threes, where someone says it's something that makes your skin smooth. And he goes, no, that's lotion. <laughs> and then Sally says uh, it's the place with the fishies in it. And he goes, no, that's the ocean. And then Leanne says it's a starchy root vegetable. And it took me a second because my brain was... I've never heard of a root vegetable that rhymes with potion. My brain was totally fixated on that. And Snape takes a beat and goes, you mean a potato. <laughs> It's so good. This is the first place in the script, too, where there are actually four different options that could be read uh, in this oh, moment. What are all of the options? I need to hear all of them. Okay, so uh, Leanne says it's a starchy root vegetable. No, that's a potato. L let's do this. I'll be Leanne and you be, okay, you be cool, Snape. Cool, cool. We'll see if you can figure these out. Okay, so that's the head of the Catholic Church. No, that's the Pope. Uh, it's that dance where everyone is a train. Choo-choo! No, that's the Cong a conga line? Uh, no, it's the locomotion. Oh, the locom... Oh, but that does rhyme. Uh -huh, okay. Uh -huh. Some of them rhyme, some of them don't. Yeah, I was doing the opposite. Option four. Uh, it's the water that surrounds all the continents. Uh, isn't that also the ocean? It is still the ocean. <laughs> oh, it is still the ocean. <laughs> uh, oh, it's that stuff that smells good. Uh, uh, deodorant? That's potpourri. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yes. This makes me want to act in a rendition of Puffs. If my Harry Potter-based career could get me into anything, I don't want to be in a Warner Brothers production. I don't want to do an audiobook. 
I want to be cast in puffs. Yes, absolutely. When the world is normal again, I want to at least for one night. It would be so much fun. I would love to do this. I feel like you've got the build for a Cedric slash Mr. Voldy. I would absolutely love that. I will take this as just the flattery of the two people I've seen play Cedric are very tall and muscular. So I'm going <laughs> to take that compliment, put it in my back pocket. Thank you very much. But I I mean, that's a big role. I would, you know, they're going to, people are going to need bit casting, right? Bit cast your boy. <laughs> What's it? Stunt casting? That's what it is, right? Stunt cast me, please. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now, I appreciate these lines here. I do have to say, and and I'm, I'm just going to get it out there, and it's unfortunate, I wasn't a big fan of Leanne. And it's not because of the actress, because I love her other roles. Her as Frenchie is hilarious. Yes, absolutely. But I don't. I've never been a fan of the character whose whole shtick is, haha, they're not smart, or haha, they're kind of ditzy, and the whole joke is just that they are ditzy. And there are some things about Leanne that I found really fun, but overall, just having the character be like, ah, and, and the loud voice doesn't help. I didn't find that particularly compelling. It made me think about a viral video that went out that is, it's like a recording for a promo video for Hogwarts. Oh, yeah, And so yeah, you yep, see the directors right. there and they're like, I'm a Gryffindor. I'm brave. And then they get to the point where like, I'm a Hufflepuff. And she just doesn't say anything. And then they're trying to get her to give those characteristics. I'm lactose intolerant. I'm a Hufflepuff. <laughs> it, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel genuine. And again, it just completely erases all of those wonderful, joyful things that I love so much about my Hufflepuff friends. I feel like that's where I kind of started to to disconnect with it as well, is that when Leanne was there and like, oh, we're wizards. Yes, we get that. Yes, we're wizards. Like, just because you're a Hufflepuff doesn't mean you're an idiot. Just because you're not in Ravenclaw doesn't mean that you're not smart. It just means that that's not your primary focus. And so... I, I think that that is uh, a legitimate critique of her character, but it won it all back for me in the end. She has a, a beautiful sequence that I was like, oh, yes, totally on board with all of this. Right. I think overall I was okay with it. And there are some funly end moments as it goes on. But yeah, just initially, my, I just uh, I, I don't think you need to have that character in there. I like the joke more as the puffs are misunderstood and they have a bad rap, less so as, oh, the puffs actually are bad and they actually don't know what they're doing. And yes. that's what Leanne kind of stood for. And I just found the other puffs more endearing and more fun. Yes. So they go to Transfiguration and Oliver at this point has to get a special training wand because he's <laughs> not <laughs> he's not good enough. And it's just a giant tennis ball at the end of a wand. <laughs> uh, that was not when I was reading this because I read it before I watched this part. Uh, I started imagining things like Glinda's wand from the Wizard of Oz, like this giant staff of a oh, wand nice. um, with like <laughs> ribbons and a star and things like that. That was very cheesy. So most of the time when I'm reading something like this, I'm kind of imagining how I would stage it and how I would choose to make it in my my head. But seeing the tennis ball on there was absolutely like a, a safety mechanism was really enjoyable. It also made me think, is a tennis ball any sort of other training thing? The only thing I could think of is like the walkers that That's exactly what came into my use. mind too. <laughs> okay, I didn't know if I was missing something else where adding a tennis ball makes something safer. <laughs> but there, there is an instance too of using a tennis ball with uh, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Ah. Yeah, hear me out on this. So when he was filming this scene, right, where he has this, you shall not pass, there's this giant Balrog and everything. And so they will sometimes use tennis balls to be a focal point so ah. actors know like what the height is to like where should they be looking because they're just 
just acting against a green screen. So putting a tennis ball on a stick gave him that focal point. And so when they're then replacing the CGI Balrog in there too, they know what level so that it it matches. Is there a video somewhere of Sir Ian McKellen yelling at a tennis ball on a stick? Because I need to see that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it does exist, but uh, I don't know if it has been released somewhere. I will be Googling that profusely (laughs) once we finish this call. He also has a really spectacular video uh, of him giving acting lessons as well. And it references that scene. And it really is just spectacular. That's really good. That's really good. That is really good, Pass Mike. And you know what else is good? Supporting your family, whether it's your direct family or a little redacted for privacy purposes to come soon. And in order to do so, we have to take a little bit of a break here for a segment we like to call Wingardium Adriosa. Today's episode of Potter List is brought to you by Skillshare. Let's say hypothetically that you are Oliver in Puffs and you just got to this magic school and you are struggling. You are not good at magic. You're used to being very good at stuff. You want to develop your skills. How could you do so with Skillshare? Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. You can explore new skills, you can deepen existing passions, and you can just get lost in creativity. There's so much to explore with Skillshare. You can start creating real projects and you will also have the support of fellow creatives. Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. They have a bunch of classes in a wide array of topics from digital photography to video making to audio production to illustration to simply time management or being productive. They have a lot of different courses. I have taken a time management slash productivity course and it really did help me, help me plan things out, especially it's hard for me in being someone that doesn't have a boss. I mean, technically I'm my own boss, but it's it's hard for me. I'm a very deadline oriented person. So this class taught me how to be better about making deadlines for myself, setting goals, and making sure that I don't just procrastinate all the time. That productivity course was called Real Productivity, How to Build Habits That Last. It was by Thomas Frank, and it was fantastic. I highly recommend it. And as a Potterless listener, you can explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash WizardOn, and the first 1,000 people to use that link will get a free trial of a Skillshare premium membership. Again, that URL is Skillshare.com slash WizardOn. So go to Skillshare.com slash WizardOn, get that free trial of Skillshare Premium, and start strengthening your wizarding skills, Oliver, today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy 
for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me. And then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can right get 10% you can off get, your first purchase right by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyway, that's arenaclub.com slash Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So then they get on to Defense Against the Dark Arts, and you have a very stuttery quarrel, and Megan does some sort of spell which cuts all the lights in the room, and then the back of Quarrel's head starts talking, and everyone very much just quickly dismisses this, but I do appreciate her knowing that she could do that, and the first instance of the Voldemort voice is very fun. In the script, it says that she shoots a spitball at the back of his turban, oh. and that's what causes him to fit, uh, like have this revealing moment. Okay. I didn't know that. I thought she was just casting some sort of spell. Interesting. Yeah, it says Megan Jones shoots a spitball at the back of Professor Turban's turban. His name is Professor Turban. He spins around and on the back of his turban we see a pair of red glowing eyes staring at us. We hear a whispery voice. That's very good since he never gets called by name so the fact that his official name in the script is Mr. Turban. Professor (laughs) Turban. Professor Turban. Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Professor Turban is very good. So they then go on to herbology, and this is the point where Wayne and Oliver were lamenting how hard all of the classes were, and Professor Sprout, what is her pseudo-fake name? Professor Plants? Professor Sprouty. Sprouty, okay. (laughs) She comes in and she just goes, Klaus, we're going to look at plants, and then everyone else just goes, yay, plants! Which is really good. Oh, it's so fun. Then they have a flying lesson. And this is the first instance of the way Harry exists in this play, which is just every now and then we see an iconic Harry scene just off to the side. And I really appreciate it. And this is something that I appreciated live more than I did on the video. Live, a lot of these Harry scenes literally happen on the side of the stage. So I think it's even funnier when you watch the video, it obviously cuts to it and frames it so it's more in the center. But a lot of these Harry scenes are just either he's walking in the background or it's off to the side. So I think it's really funny. But in this one, you have the Harry versus Malfoy going after the remember all that Neville lost slash Malfoy took from him. And you also get the first instance of Harry just stumbling into success here. Like Malfoy just says like, oh, I bet you won't catch the ball. And then Harry goes, oh, I caught the ball like just instant it's 
<laughs> it's I wonderful. really appreciate the use of magic in this particular scene as well. Mm-hmm. For the same reasons that I want to see Cursed Child to see all of the technical wonder and make that magic happen, I also really look forward to the satire side of things for how are we going to make this work. And whether it's levitating a book, whether it's flying on a broom, there is absolutely no piece of magic that you cannot figure out from a logical point, like even without a theatrical technological background, anybody sitting in that audience can be like, oh, I know how they did that. It's just a person standing behind the wall lifting the feather. Oh, it's just a person's hand making the cape blow behind them. So it looks like like there's literally no what I would call stage magic. There's no invisible wires. There's no puff of smoke. There's nothing that you can't figure out as, as a theatrical muggle, but also it does bring that heightened level of like, Oh yeah, they're flying because their capes are floating behind them. Or (laughs) it's just fun the way that they play with magic in this. It's very fun. And it, makes for a quality that I find very interesting with Puffs in that it looks like it should be a bad college play. Like it looks, the set looks like a slapdash put together kind of thing. It looks like when you watch a very Potter musical, which was a college play. But at the same time, so many of the things that they do are really impressive. Some of those props are absolutely incredible. Some of the tricks they do I will get to one soon where I had to replay multiple times to see how they did it. So it has like the homey look and feel as, oh, they just kind of put this together really quickly. But then it's really well done and nothing is bad. There are things, too, to consider in terms of knowing that it's a farce. And one of the things that I was taught in my theater history classes in college is that, you know, it's a farce if there's more than four doors, something about just door slamming and and people coming in and out. And it's a promise to the audience, right? We promise that we're going to do something funny. There's going to be lots of doors opening and doors closing and people coming in and missed connections through those doorways. And they absolutely set that promise up when you see that set. Not only are there four doors representing things like the four houses, but also that then they use those in such an effective way. And it's also not just the doors. There's, you can exit and enter behind the door. There's a sliding piece upstage. And it's so smart that it's not a huge set. It's a unit set. So there's not big things rolling on and off. We're not changing the location. However, as an audience member, I was never lost. I knew when they were in class. I knew when they were in their uh, their common room. I knew when they were wherever they needed to be based on how the actors sold it and the props and the costumes that they brought in. And that is such a beautiful thing to look at from a high school designer's perspective that I can make something like that, that I don't have to make it fancy. I don't have to have lots of trick things and a a trap door and a fly system. And I just have to be able to build a unit set. And where I direct, I don't have a pit. I don't have a fly system. I don't have wing space. I have to direct things that have a unit set. So Someday, maybe someday, when we're allowed to have theater again, I would love to take this project on as my own. But also, again, looking at the sheer number of costumes and props is just daunting. Right. The number of them is a lot, but none of them, as you said, are particularly complex. It's it's like a high-budget, low-budget yes. situation where the play is really well done and the props are really well done, but none of them are particularly expensive 
but it's it just works. My biggest challenge is going to be able to do things. I don't have LED lights. Mm. And so being able to make use of different lighting things and particularly when they get into certain spells that have certain colors associated with them mm-hmm. and being able to change things that quickly is going to be darn near impossible for me to do without LEDs. So that I think is going to be a huge struggle to not have on my side. Yeah. It's really well done. I really enjoy what they do. And then moving on, another thing that I thought was a great prop work is Malfoy then goes over to Wayne and Oliver and shoots a eat slug spell at them. And then they vomit out whatever the name of those 90s toys are, where it's just the thing you squish back and forth. <laughs> I, I have no idea what this is called or how you describe it, but it's just great because like that's a low budget way for them to vomit slugs. And then at the same time, it's a fun 90s reference. And I love that Puffs, unlike the Harry Potter books and films, actually feels like it takes place in the 90s. Yes. I had never really acknowledged that either until... No, because it was the death day party that we were able to figure out what year it was. But it wasn't until book four that I figured out when things were actually happening because it always just felt like, oh, well, it's another time, right? You're using quills. Although, why? That's (laughs) stupid. Pencils exist. You don't need to write with a quill. That's the most wild thing that they never adapt. It's so strange. So I'm glad that Puffs is rooted in the 90s. And at this point, Wayne, now that he has been bullied, laments out loud, wizard school is just like regular school, and then goes off stage. (laughs) So then they go to the Halloween feast. Everyone's wearing costumes. There is a troll in the dungeon. The puffs then take emergency formation number four, which is them saying, we are not a threat. Please be our friend, which is great. I really love it. And also very threatening. (laughs) Like, you, fi- you find that threatening, just please be our friend. As an outdoors woman, and I say this like because I, I enjoy hiking, I enjoy backpacking. If you are trying to threaten another animal, you get together and try and get as large as you can and then like chant and yell and make as much noise as you can. And so for all of the puffs to then clump together and start chanting is is very threatening. And I would be very threatened if a group of people started chanting that at me. I'd be like, okay, you say that, but I don't believe it. <laughs> It is an effective way to scare off bears. I had to do this. Kelly and I were hiking in Mount Rainier and we got to the summit and we were about to go down and someone came up. This was not the summit of Mount Rainier. Okay, this I was, was like, like wait, oh, hike near it. No, 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 no. It was, it was some other one. It was like a fire lookout trail. It was very pretty. But as we got up and we were going back down, someone else came up and they said, oh, did you guys pass the bear? And we said, the bear? And then they said, yeah, there was a bear near the meadow. So Kelly and I knew that the way to scare off this type of bear was just to talk very loudly and make a lot of noise, but it was just the two of us. So we just had a regular conversation just at this volume, <laughs> like the whole way down the mountain. And uh, that's, you know, we stayed safe. So I guess it worked. Did you get to see the bear, though? We did not see the bear, which was good, but also terrifying. I would have liked to have seen the bear, but very far away yes. bear. Yes. Because never seeing the bear, there was always the potential for bear, which I don't like. I just saw my first bear at Mount Rainier earlier this year, and it was a delight, and it was very far away, and it was the perfect way to see a bear. Yes. The next day we went on a hike, and there was also warnings of bears, but we saw the bear, and it was incredibly far away, and there was a valley in between our peak and bear, so we felt great. Yep. That's the best way to see a bear. <laughs> best bear situation possible. So then we get the introduction of Ron. Ron is a mop, which... I love it. Perfect. I it's perfect. I love it. 
<laughs> so it's Harry just walking along. They are off to save Hermione, and Harry's just holding a mop. The only way that I would have made it better would be have instead of a mop, like an actual mop, have a, a stick and a wet blanket. Mm. Um, but it's difficult <laughs> to keep a wet blanket wet on stage because there's a lot of heat and, and it would be dripping and slippery. So I think that transitioning Ron from being a wet blanket to something that is more symbolic of the wet blanket that he is was a much better choice. <laughs> I'm glad you're anti-Ron here because the play goes very anti-Ron later on, calling him the worst Weasley. I don't think he's the worst. I'm not as big on him as some other people oh, are. Percy my is wife definitely included, the worst Weasley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Glad we got that all wrapped up right. uh, with a nice little bow. I think Ron has some, some earnestness to him, but also he just is not as supportive as I want him to be in a best friend. Yep, agreed, agreed. So, uh, the puffs are talking about the troll. Hannah says, they said it was my twin sister. Oh, I get it. They were bullying me, which becomes a great Hannah recurring bit later on. Yes, love that running joke. Uh, The recognition of, oh, everything's fine. Wait, no, now I get it. Because I have definitely had those moments too where I'm driving home and I remember a comment that a kid has sent to me and I'm like, oh... I wasn't supposed to laugh at that. Oh, no. (laughs) They were being rude to me, and I'm the teacher, and I'm supposed to be in charge. Cool. (laughs) Oh, no. Cedric comes in, reassures them that they are safe. He says, quote, this is the only time we'll ever be in danger, ever. And then they go to bed, but Wayne and Oliver realize that Megan is still out there, so they go to save Megan. Uh, Of course, because they're good friends. They're not wet blankets. They aren't. They're very good friends. And this trio has a parallel to our main trio. But what I do appreciate is that Obviously, there is some one-to-one of Harry and Wayne, though they are on opposite ends of the spectrum. I feel like Oliver and Megan aren't a distinct one of them is Ron and one of them is Hermione. They kind of both have qualities of each, which I appreciate, and more so than anything— They're just their own characters, which I really did enjoy that it wasn't just, oh, this is just Hufflepuff version of Harry, Ron, and Hermione. It's more of just, yeah, there's three friends and some things are similar, but it's not just a copy paste and change the color from red to yellow. Right. Clearly, we can see that Oliver is is very smart, very book smart. We can draw parallels between that and Hermione. Megan is trying to distance herself from her family and trying to establish herself instead of, you know, just always being a puff, not just always being a Weasley. But they also have a tendency to bring out the best in each other, just like puffs are supposed to do, which is so wonderful. Yeah. And you also get some differences where, you know, if Oliver, you would think is the Hermione role, well, Oliver is also really bad at magic and Hermione is not bad at magic (laughs) at all. And if you're saying that Megan is in the Ron role, she's very good at magic and Ron isn't the strongest. So I like that they kind of flip it. Okay. But sometimes like his wand was broken and that's not fair. Yes. Not fair at all. Not fair at all. Also not fair to Neville, who used someone else's wand for uh, at least a good chunk of the book. I don't know if it was always, but he had a hand-me-down wand. Yeah. So they go off to save Megan, and Megan is in the forbidden hallway, and she goes, oh, cool, a weird mirror. And then this is something I didn't notice when I saw it live, but they make it very clear in the video, is that it's called Rorimdriu, which is weird mirror backwards, which is, uh, what a what a great mirror of the Erised, arise, whatever, <laughs> how you pronounce a joke. Uh, just, it's so good. Yes. 
And also, again, the idea of we get to see them reliving their dreams. They have the same exact reaction to it that Harry and Ron do. And and again, seeing those parallels between like I'm winning an award and uh, having all of these connections. But Megan, again, kind of keeps it secret, much like Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore has his secrets and so does Megan. Yeah, I like it. And also, just from a stage perspective, I like the way they did the mirror where it was someone dressed in all black behind them and you can only really see their arms and whatever props they're holding and whatever they do for lighting. Yeah, it becomes like a silhouette style. So it is uh, a suggestive of a mirror without actually having to put a mirror on stage because mirrors on stage are awful. Yep, sounds bad. So you have Megan talking with the fat Friar and a good joke, Friar doesn't like being called fat and he has his self-esteem hurt every time he is called fat, whether it's Megan just saying fat Friar's name or meanly calling him fatty or whatever. There's also one point where Oliver comes in and calls him Mr. Friar and he goes, Mr. Friar, I like it. (laughs) I also like that the way that in Puffs they signify someone as a ghost is they wear that froofy tutu Shakespeare neck collar thing yes. with it's got little string Christmas lights in, lights in it. Yeah. <laughs> and then also their hands just kind of move up and down like they're treading water. <laughs> like that's how they <laughs> signify ghost in puffs. And I love it. I initially had that thought too when I was like, okay, how am I going to direct this? How am I going to do this? And when I directed Town, we had the option play. that uh, one of the characters comes back uh, from the dead and sings a duet. And so... His suggestion was just to do like a sheet ghost style and cut the two big holes in it. (laughs) And I was almost on board. And what I ended up doing is putting little angel wings on him and a a froofy little halo sort of thing. And that worked better because then we got more expression of him on stage. But I definitely thought about that, too, in terms of, okay, if I'm going to stage this, how would I do it? And could I do sheet ghost? where you just cut a hole for the head so you still get to see their head, but then the rest of their body is is literally just a bed sheet. (laughs) And then also establishing the joke of like, maybe the first two ghosts that you see are like white or cream colored sheets, but then other ghosts that you see, maybe you're like floral or plaid sheets. They're clearly (laughs) still bed sheets, but they they just are not plain white sheets. I would appreciate that. I, for the longest time, I only had one set of sheets for my bed and they were Christmas sheets that I was given (laughs) as a gift for Christmas one year, but they were just my best sheets. So I just, for two years of my life, when I lived alone as a bachelor that I am, I just had Christmas sheets year round. That's absolutely shocking. (laughs) Kelly, when we were still dating, she's like, why do you always use the Christmas sheets? It's just, they're my best sheets. (laughs) I don't care that they're themed. They're my best sheets. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> Having a Christmas sheet that covers up one of the ghosts, uh, I think, would be so is, good. is absolutely, a, a again, that signifier that the entire audience can clue into that and know exactly what it is. Because making a Shakespearean style rough is difficult and challenging, and I don't just have a surplus of those in my stock. Bringing that back to what is something cheap that I can get at Goodwill that signifies it's a ghost? Ah, uh, yes, bed sheets. That's also what I feel like a lot of the props are in Puffs is just, oh, we get it. And now it's funny, whatever we've used, it's just, oh, I get it. That's, you know, they're riding on what is clearly just an actual literal sweeping up broom. And it's just, oh, I get it. They just got a broom from Target for $5. But also that's very funny that that's what they've chosen. Yeah. And it's just stuff like that, which is really good and works. And they do it throughout the play. And it's so fun. So as the scene continues, the narrator explains that Megan's mom is basically, at least before we learn more about Megan's mom, she's made out to basically be Bellatrix. She's introduced 
withholding the Azkaban thing, which is called Wizpriz, which I do love <laughs> that the wizard prison is Wizpriz. And it's it's just a classic, this is who she's made out to be until we learn later on what she's really like. So you get your classic trio moment of book one where they form a friendship, they earn points for learning life lessons, and then they look into the mirror. Wayne gets a medal and a lightsaber. Great. Oliver makes a math theorem that turns differential calculus into something as easy as, quote, trigonometry for dum-dums, which I absolutely loved. And Megan doesn't see anything, but then later on reveals it's that she saw her mom giving her a hug, keeping her secret. So sweet. She also gets the Philosopher's Stone and then just tosses it aside. So... At this point now, the Puffs all start earning points. They are inspired. And one of the spells that they do to earn points is their spoof of Wingardium Liviosa, which is Olive Guardian Liviosa. But the way they do it is perfectly executed because you have one student going, Olive Guardian Liviosa. And then Sally goes, no, it's Olive Guardian Liviosa. Liviosa. And when I saw this live, <laughs> I let out the biggest ha! When they did that, because it was, uh, it's just, it's so good because just you, not only are you making it Olive Guardian, but on top of it, you're making fun of the classic Liviosa, Hermione, smarter than you moment. And oh, it's, oh, it was so funny. <laughs> it really is a, a perfect moment that also made me crave breadsticks. Mm, mm -hmm. And I was upset that I could not magic myself some Olive Garden breadsticks because no matter how good they may be, like when you pick them up and then take them home, by the time you get them home, they're they're cold and they're not what you want them to be. Right. So I I kind of miss Olive Garden. I wouldn't go as far as to say that I miss Olive Garden in that I grew up in a very Italian part of New Jersey, so my Italian food standards are ridiculously high. Fair point. I get that. But I do appreciate the breadsticks. And when I was in college, I was one of the uh, senior class reps for my residential college, my dorm building. Mm -hmm. We, once a week for our cabinet meetings, you would have to bring food and you would get a $100 budget. And as the seniors, we had the perfect intersection of being lazy, but then also it was funny when we would do lazy things with $100. <laughs> so there was one time where we just bought $100 worth of breadsticks from Olive Garden. <laughs> Because normally the freshmen, they'll get like fruit roll-ups and Rice Krispie treats and oatmeal cream pies and all this stuff. And we would just get like $100 worth of one thing. So like we got $100 <laughs> worth of breadsticks one time. We got $100 worth of queso from a really good Mexican chain, Chewy's. They have this jalapeno cream sauce that's really good. So we just walked into... Okay, but did you get chips to go with it? Yes, yes, yes. It came oh, with it. It okay. came with you it. It wasn't just... cheese. And I was like, <laughs> no, no. Here is your no, bowl chips, of queso with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would have been really funny too. But we did just walk into Chewy's and say, how much jalapeno cream sauce can we get with $100. So we did that once and it was great and we were universally beloved or at least no one said it to our face that they hated <laughs> us doing this. <laughs> I also appreciate about this joke is that I think Puffs does this very well. We're obviously most people in attendance. It's for people that like Harry Potter and want to see a play that belovingly 
makes fun of it in a fun way where, you know, we'll point out some of the things that don't make sense, but we all still love Harry Potter. But they still do a lot of these one-two punch jokes where it's back-to-back jokes, and one of them is just genuinely, objectively funny, and then the other one is a specific Harry Potter reference. And this is a perfect example. Them calling the spell Olive Guardian is funny, but then on top of it, the Leviosa joke is an inside joke for Harry Potter fans. So I appreciate that they are making jokes that appeal to everyone back-to-back. It's good. And that's something that I struggled with with this play, too. And and again, I feel like there was so much at the beginning, and I'm like, I'm just not sure how this is going to stand, which is uh, why I'm I'm partially sad. A, I'm really excited that we've gotten to talk about so much of this in detail, but also... I feel like there are so many more rewarding moments later in the play that I Uh really want to talk with you about too, because at this first part, I was like, I have my note here that it feels like there's inside jokes in this play. And I'm kind of part of it because I know what they're referencing. I have grown up with this. I'm very familiar with this. So I understand the inside joke, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm in on it, at least at the very beginning of it. Because something we talk about with improv is that we always like to make jokes not necessarily just within our own troupe. Obviously, we have history, we have jokes, things like that that make us laugh from previous rehearsals or whatever. But the idea of kind of letting those go and then creating inside jokes with the audience and having callbacks that the audience will get because that makes us feel like we're all on the same team. We're all helping to create this thing. And so by referencing all of these moments, I was like, well, I mean, I guess they're referencing something that happened, but it didn't make me feel necessarily like they were referencing their own work all the time. And I was like, I want them to take the concept of this world and lovingly celebrate it instead of sometimes what I felt like was punching down. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that I struggled with sometimes. And so, yes, I understood the the Leviosa, Leviosa. But if I had taken a trip to New York and been like, okay, we have to go see this play. It's Harry Potter. I know you haven't seen it, but like, you just have to come see it, right? So I convinced my friend who hasn't done it to come see the show. They're not going to understand anything that's going on. That's part of my concept of when I direct an improv show that is based on something like Nancy Drew or the other one I've done is Wes Anderson. I want to create a show that even if a person has never seen a Wes Anderson movie, even if a person has never read a Nancy Drew book before, they can still come see a show and be like, oh, this is funny because it's meritorious on its own. So sometimes I wish that the the inside jokes were a little bit more subtle. The other piece that I I kept coming back to is Something Rotten, which is a spoof on Shakespeare and his writing and uh, that ultimately the the joke is that Shakespeare stole all of his work, which we know he did, but we get to see who he is stealing it from too. And so there are small nods and touches that if you've read plays or have had basic high school understanding of Shakespeare, you'll be like, oh, I get that. That's a that's a reference to one of his plays. <laughs> so I guess sometimes I was just frustrated because it felt like they go so deep so fast that instead of bringing us fully in, uh, they're like, haha, remember this thing that other people have thought is funny? We think it's funny too. But if if you don't know, now you know. Yeah. I guess it does get better as it goes because I think you start to learn more about what they've established for the characters. Yes. And that's why I like it later on. I think once you start developing that three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I mean, I know we're not going to get to the end, but, uh, you know, maybe I'll have you back for a, a later discussion of it as well. <laughs> so we can talk about the ending portion. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, again, I started and I was kind of like, well, I don't uh, uh. like there are moments and I like it. And I know by the end of it, I was sold. I absolutely want to go see it. So, mm-hmm. so please don't, don't get me wrong. I want to direct it. I want to see it. 
So all of these things are fantastic. I felt the exact same when I saw it live. At first, it was like, wow, okay, it does feel very much like inside baseball-y, you got to be a big Harry Potter fan. Yes. But as it goes, I think I loved it so much more. And, and then it just made watching it the second time even more enjoyable because I, I knew where it ended up so I could enjoy it throughout. So I think I'm a little biased in, in that. But I, I agree. I felt I felt like what you were feeling when I first saw it. But it, it grew on me so quickly. Yeah. So then they are getting to the end of the year where they are announcing the standings of the House Cup. And it shows that Hufflepuff is in third place. And Cedric just lets out this, oh, can I hear a third place third and place. then there's a <laughs> and then this great song in the background starts just third oh nothing it <laughs> begins and it's uh it's wonderful but then unfortunately you they get bumped to fourth because Dumbledore adding points and I love this portrayal of the Dumbledore this particular actress she is so good but the way she goes now I know what you're wondering could he add more points Yes, and then he does. <laughs> and I also appreciate that everyone shits on the addition of the points for saying playing chess, basic logic, pure nerve, standing up to friends that they all say in unison. Really, really solid stuff. Because that goes against the basic core of, of being a puff. You don't stand up to your friends. You're loyal to them. You support them. So I, I absolutely adored that moment. And the the fact that the headmasters are played by two different actors throughout the run yeah. of the show. That is a genius nod. That one I absolutely appreciated. If we if we are appreciating the inside baseball of it all, then yes, absolutely. That was a fantastic touch of um, like, you know, hey, here's this one person and one style. And the, the portrayals of the two different headmasters I thought was very well done too in terms of recognizing uh, the two different actors and how they approached their their headmaster. Definitely. And I also appreciate what Dumbledore does where the line of a change of decoration is in order. What they do for the play is Dumbledore just takes off a green standard conical birthday hat and there is a red one underneath and he goes, ha ha, oh me, and then walks <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, it's just so perfect. Yes. Coming back to that that very basic, very simple understanding of, of how we can create this stage magic finding that way that, again, audiences are going to absolutely know how that magic was done. Mm -hmm. But it is very effective and a, a beautiful little nod to the, the books and the movies. Right. So obviously the Puffs are now sad that they didn't get their coveted third place. But Leanne cites that it's a good year because they learned, they had fun, and nobody died except for that one teacher, which again, something I didn't process. Did, no, they never really addressed that a teacher fucking dies. They like never talk about Quirrell dying. It just happens and then the book ends. Yeah, but he was evil. So why would we acknowledge that he died? Someone still died. <laughs> it's a book for 11-year-olds. Why are we, we don't want to talk about sad things, right? He was evil. He was bad. Scar falls off a cliff. Frollo dies in a fire. Quirrell dies in a magical accident. It's fine. <laughs> So we get to year two. This year starts with Oliver being put into remedial classes, which just makes me feel so bad for Oliver. And it also has Colin Creevy walking around taking photos. And Oliver then goes, man, I hope something really bad happens to that kid. And the narrator instantly says what we're all thinking. He 
instantly opens the door and just goes, yikes, which <laughs> the timing in this play, since everything is so quick, I do appreciate how rapid fire everything happens. And the narrator's timing every time he enters is quite choice. It is superb. And again, it takes use of that beautiful set design that has all of these doors, all of these places where you can peek out, have a one-liner, and then be back off stage again. It doesn't create a giant transition that we need to have. It's just a one-liner, and that set absolutely works to make those moments happen. Right. And the set also works for a lot of times where you have to have someone being character A and then very quickly switch into character B. As simple as them walking to a second door, even if it's the one adjacent to it, and they just do one thing to their costume to signify I am a different person now in the time that it takes them to go from door A to door B. It's really impressive. And it does give that audience, like you pointed out earlier, you're never lost. You're never confused as to where you are or who you're looking at. And the set just, it looks like such a simple nothing set, but it is so powerful and they use it to its fullest extent. Yes. And I think that that is a testament to the actors as well, because they have to keep track of that also. And again, it might be easier to direct this for my high school kids because I will possibly cast 20 different kids and break up the roles differently than how it was initially performed. But when you're at a professional level and you're trying to pay people, trying to make sure that you're utilizing everyone to their best abilities, that means that some of these actors, uh, I didn't count, but some of them are playing like 10 or 12 different roles. So remembering who they're playing, what costume they have to be wearing, what accent they're using or affectations or character choices that they're making. And then to be able to do that so quickly, to walk out a door, flip a cape around, tie on an apron and walk back in a door with a completely different character within a span of about 10 seconds is not easy. So big kudos to them for that. Mm -hmm. It makes me wish that there was, this is something they do when you watch a soccer match is sometimes they will say how much distance a player traveled over the course of a match. I would love to see just the stats of all the actors. How many doors did they open? How many miles did they cover? How many different <laughs> characters did they play? How many costume changes was it involved? Like, I would love to just see the video game end of run stats or oh, the show's over. Look, the guy who plays Ernie Mac changed his hair 16 times over the course of the play. <laughs> I would really appreciate it. I had that thought about Newsies at one point, too. The, the set for Newsies is, at least the Broadway set for it, is three different towers that are each like three stories high and have stairs. And oh. I wanted to know between the tapping and running up and down the stairs and figuring all of that out, like what is an average step count for a chorus performer in that show? And I, oh yeah, it's just mind blowing to think how much work. And the other piece of it too, is the work that many people don't see, right? We come to the theater, we grab our wine. That's far too overpriced. We sit down and we're like, okay, great. Let's have an evening. But most people don't think about how many times they have done that. And there are moments where you hold your breath backstage, hoping that everybody is going to time whatever they need to write to make sure that that entrance happens, whatever it may be. And how many times you had to run this one thirty second of the show because the director keeps making you do it over and over again, <laughs> because we have to get the technical elements and the actors and the costumes and like all of those pieces. So uh, for people who aren't involved in theater, it definitely takes so, 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 so much work to make sure that the audience have a consistent experience every night that they go to the show. Right. And it's 
it's genius. The the work that they did clearly paid off. It's also just something you don't realize the physical demand that it is just to perform on stage sometimes. And it's something that I naively thought before I started performing improv to the level I was doing in Seattle with Jet City and with CSE Seattle. It's just I would be tired afterwards and I was confused. It's like all I did was improv for an hour. It's like, oh, I was running around and projecting the whole time. There was one, the first time I w- did refereeing for comedy sports in Seattle, which is the host role. So you're talking a lot. I like tweaked a muscle in my back that I had never tweaked before. And I realized it's whatever muscle like is near my diaphragm that makes me speak. <laughs> and yes. I, I literally tweaked a muscle just by projecting a lot for an hour. And then from that <laughs> moment on, I was like, I need to stretch my back before I'm the host role of this improv show. <laughs> yes. I just yes. had no idea. <laughs> And thinking about that, too, in terms of not only are you speaking, right, you're not just standing there and speaking, but you're also running around and the energy level that you set or the energy level that this cast brings is all very important things that help the audience keep up. Because, again, if they weren't going this fast, it wouldn't be this funny. No, if for they sure. For sure. We're not making those quick changes and opening and closing those doors and running across and making in improv, we call it a Canadian cross where you walk across the stage and have like a one line moment. Right. So if that wasn't happening at the speed that it is, it would be a very different show. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So Megan states that she's into books this year. This is her thing this year. And the final thing I want to talk about in this episode is a a stage magic thing that I had alluded to earlier, and I had to rewatch it a bunch of times. So they start dueling class and you have Lockhart set up Malfoy versus Harry. Malfoy comes out and has a wand and then throws it into the air and it just turns into a snake, much like one of those snakes that would be, I guess, in the can of blah, boing, snakes, <laughs> slapstick comedy, whatever that is. And I had to rewatch this so many times because I didn't know where the snake came from. And I guess it was just really wound up really tight into the wand. But when Malfoy comes out, it very convincingly just looks like a wand. Yes, I did not rewatch it. And that was one of the ones, too, where I was like, oh, wait, how how did that happen? So it makes me wonder, maybe it's something that's like wound around the wand or perhaps being held onto by the actor and is actually a spring. And then, you know, you kind of fling the wand up and then you release your thumb and then the spring goes. It was so impressive. I'm pretty sure that it was just that snake wound up incredibly tightly into a small cylinder that the actress was just holding and then she threw and then it turned into a snake. Their rendition of the Harry speaking parcel tongue scene is so funny because immediately Harry grabs the snake because Jay Finch catches it and goes, oh no, the snake is attacking me. And Harry just <laughs> swoops in, grabs the snake and goes, snake, no, snake, what are you doing? Don't bite Justin, leave Don't us Don't do alone. this snake, no. It's, it's so funny. And then the narrator lets us know that that is not what the students saw. Here's what the students saw. Lights go dark. There's red on Harry. And Harry just starts spinning it around. And then just like they're speaking in (laughs) demonic tongues. It's just like, and just tongue going everywhere. (laughs) Oh, and it was so great to take it to the two extremes of Harry is so like, oh, come on. Oh, little (laughs) snakey-poo. And then just so incredibly evil (laughs) for what the other people saw. I just thought it was so funny and really great. And I really liked this moment. And of course, 
the puffs then go back into their safety mechanism as well. We are not a threat uh, <laughs> running around and and trying to make sure that that they are safe also. So it's really solid. And I think that's just a perfect place to end this second episode, the second discussion of puffs. But this has been really great so far, Katie. I've really enjoyed this discussion. I knew this would be fun. And it's been a, a hoot and a half. Absolutely. I am I'm really pleased that I had the opportunity to do this. I, I love Harry Potter. I love theater. And so, of course, this is a, a perfect branching of those two pieces. And it's really been a joy to, to get some in-depth theatrical analysis. Yes. I appreciate it because you know far better than me for a lot of different things. And you've got the <laughs> script on you, so you can give me so much insight. This is why I always like to get people far more qualified than me to be guests on the show so here we are <laughs> so thank you so much for joining katie i really do appreciate it i'd be happy to be back anytime yes i would be very happy to have you back i need to schedule the rest of the uh the puff stuff but i'll uh i'll put in a good word for you to my boss which is me uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if, if if there's anything you would like to promote say it for the people i guess the biggest thing that i'll promote right now is just to say to support your local theater artists mm -hmm. and make sure that you are able to support them when we're allowed to come back so uh check out online streaming content uh recognize that oftentimes larger theaters have access to grants and government funding and things like that but small theaters can give you really spectacular shows for literally a third of the price, but they can only exist if we continue to have patrons. So seek out your local community theaters, your local small theaters, and make sure that they're doing okay through this pandemic. And that yes. way they will be there for you to see wonderful shows uh, when we are allowed to do things like that again. Agreed. And I can vouch I've seen a Zoom play this quarantine. It was really solid. It blew my expectations out of the water. It was really creatively well done. And I think that this is a fun challenge for people to find out. So give Zoom plays a chance. Watch them. Absolutely. It's a good time. All we are saying <laughs> gives him a chance. <laughs> oh, perfect. So, Katie, thanks for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. And as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter before they talk down a snake from biting their classmate, wizard on! Hey, if you're all caught up on podcast episodes, but you need a new podcast in your life, why don't you check out Head, Heart, Gut, our premium show for multi-crew members. You can get that exclusive feed for just five bucks a month by joining the multi-crew. Head, Heart, Gut is a friendly debate show where all of the different folks at Multitude go head to head in a very silly and lighthearted argument about very serious topics. The current one that's going on is about what's the best classic board game? Brandon is arguing for chess, Moya is arguing for Scrabble, and I'm naturally arguing for Sorry. It's a fun time, the episodes are great, and I know you'll enjoy them. And you can listen to that by joining the multi-crew at multicrew.club. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Crosser, Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilu, Rosemary, Dodge, Maria Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadinier, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Pulido, Alex Consilver, John Cocker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Mark, Lou, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Resnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Nikki Harris, Keen Amanda Alford, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shetter, Marta Morrison, Maya Floor, Sake, Georgia Davis, Sky Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marco Cepeda, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Fail on the Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Lingiel, Kevin Stewart, Laurie McDonald, Jarls Fivin, Peter McGrath, Jan and Rose Dab, Callahan and Darius, Leah Reed, Melissa Rab, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Sharabat, 
Melanie Delgrave, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mangor, Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kitas, Laurel Happy, Rossanne Batamana, Erica Butler, Miranda, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Lior Nachum, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Calista Delano, Jennifer Terzi, and Henrique Wolf, Jeremy Elmore, Delkis, Katrina Smith, Jerrica Law, Casey Canales, Megan Stempen, Zat, Jack Skitzes, Sophia Lyon, Dane Nemcher, Kirsty, Robin Garcia, Chick Parm, Mermaid and her Daddykins, Alaria Vicentin, Lori, Gregory Hughes, The Real Stan Chun, Pike, Caw Caw, Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalik, Ribbon Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, Ashley Summers, Your Friendly Neighborhood, Ravenclaw, Gavin Miller, Jack Parr, Serenity, Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Sean Allen, Jenny Browers, Laura, Mazel Tovhila, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Hunter Gordon, Mary Price, Artemis, Tatiana Schmitova, Taylor Roberts, Karis Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Tony Joe, Wandering Alfier, Danae Ferguson, Jordan Engel, Nash Sanadigi, Punkfish, Steamed Nuggets, and Cat Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campamanas. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash potterless, twitter.com slash potterlesspod, instagram.com slash potterlesspodcast, and reddit.com slash r slash potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com. For merchandise, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. For bonus content, you go to patreon.com slash potterless. If you want to tell someone about the show, you think of someone who would like it, let them know. Shoot them a message. Say, hey, there's this podcast. I think you would like it. Or you can leave a rating and review online. Those really do help. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, wizard on! Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.